We are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 9. We, we went through Mark for most of the first half of the year, for the, the end of winter and spring, uh, and we're picking the series back up. We left it kind of at this pivot point in the Gospel where Jesus has had this clear conversation with his disciples for really the first time about who he is. Peter identifies him and confesses, uh, you are the Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say that he's going to be crucified. And then G Peter says, no, you may be the Christ, but you don't know. And Peter uh, receives some friendly rebuke from Jesus. This is where we left off. This is what's just happened right before this. Uh, and, and Mark is now going to move the story of his gospel very quickly towards the events that Jesus has predicted. So about half of the gospel of Mark is moving towards the cross. And this thing, at the, this high point moment, this event that we're about to read, is meant so that you can hear and understand who it is that is actually doing these things that Jesus has predicted. So this is Mark chapter 9, starting at the second verse. You can read on the screen or just listen, whatever works best for you. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the clouds, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead meant, might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he would suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they please, as it is written of him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us, that you gave this revelation to your disciples, and you gave it for us. And we pray that you would help us to pay attention, to see clearly, to hear clearly, and respond wholeheartedly. Father, we thank you that you want us to know you. You want us to hear from you. Help us to have the clarity to actually listen. We need your help, Jesus, and we're glad that you have so much to offer. Amen. Uh, this is, in, in some ways, um, a strange story and, and, a, and a normal story. Um, if, if you remember uh, the Gospel of Mark, we, we associate with the testimony of Peter because of some things that are written in it and some things that are written outside of it in history. We, we tend to believe that Mark is working closely with the Apostle Peter. And so in a lot of ways, when you are hearing this story, you can read it in Matthew, you can read it in Luke. Those are great too. But this is sort of Peter's 
telling of the story to Mark. And there's a lot of ways in which we see Jesus taking walks with his friends up on the mountains, and it's totally normal. But this is not a normal walk because Peter and James and John are going up with Jesus on this mountain and some really strange stuff happens. There's nothing like what happens to them this time that has happened to them before. This is a kind of disruption of what is ordinary. And we see here Jesus walking up this mountain, a place up into the mountains where Jesus often goes. Mark tells us it's six days after the events previously, which is weird. Mark doesn't normally tell us lengths of time like that. So when he gives us details like that, we, we sort of sit up and, and take notice. He probably does that on purpose. And he's trying, I think, to prepare us uh, to remember what happens in the book of Exodus. So if you don't know your Bible in and out, I'll give you the cheat code right now. In the book of Exodus chapter 24, Moses is going up a mountain to meet with God. And it says that after six days in the glory of the Lord, God did some things and spoke to Moses. And it's like Mark is preparing us for that kind of environment, that kind of atmosphere. Jesus goes up to the mountain after six days. And then Jesus stops talking. For the rest of the story, the action of the story... It's not Jesus who is speaking in the narrative. That's weird. Normally we're reading the Gospels, we're seeing what Jesus is saying, and he's silent. And all of a sudden, everything changes. He is shining. He is bright, hard to look at. His clothes are very bright white, and, and Mark is, and the disciples are having trouble describing what it is exactly they're seeing. It's like, don't, don't think of white like bleached. It's, it's not like that. It's whiter than that. And you may say, like, that's more a big deal, like bleaches and white clothes are everywhere. This is a time and place. There's no washing machines. There is no easy attempt to get clothes white. And, and still, he's saying, this is whiter than you can possibly imagine. Jesus is sort of blazing in, in the brightness of, of who he is, which is exactly in alignment with the description of the prophets when they see a vision of God in the Old Testament and, and later in the New Testament. They'll, they'll give this same sort of sensory experience. And then Moses and Elijah are there. Just, they're there. And again, if you're not familiar with Bible and, and the way the narrative works, Moses and Elijah are from hundreds and hundreds of years before. They shouldn't be there. They're out of place in history. I don't know how they know it is Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they're wearing name tags or if they've introduced themselves. Hello, my name is Mr. Elijah. My name is Mr. Moses. They just know that it's Moses and Elijah up there with Jesus and these are two prophets who Jewish thinkers have come to think of as having never died. Um, Elijah is explicitly described as never having died if you read his story in First and Second Kings. Moses' story, the way that Jewish interpreters begin to talk and teach about it by this time are saying Moses himself never died. So these are like ultra mega prophets in their minds who have never died. And now they're talking with Jesus and that's crazy. I mean, there, there is no way to prepare yourself for what Peter and the other disciples are seeing. And we sort of, 
we, we jump all over Peter plenty of times because he's just, this is what he does. He sort of runs his mouth. But he has no idea what he's doing. There, there is no playbook for when the lights come on out of nowhere and Jesus looks like he never has. And Moses and Elijah are there. There is no formula. So he just starts saying, I should, I could, should I build some tents for you? Is this what I should do? I should build some tents? And in other gospel accounts, they will say Peter didn't even know what he was saying. He didn't even know what he should say, but he didn't even know what he was saying. He's just sort of talking in terror. Because in, in the Jewish mind, that what they've heard is that the one that is called the Son of Man, which Jesus calls himself that all the time, he's the one who's going to ascend into the heavens in power and receive authority to rule over the nations. That's the Son of Man. Jesus is calling himself that. And before the Son of Man comes, there's a prophecy in the book of Malachi that Elijah will come. Again, to prepare the hearts of everybody. So everything in Peter's mind, the alarm bells are ringing like this is the end. It's over. The end of all things has come. Let me go ahead and build you some tents. Because in their mind, the Feast of Booths happens right before the end of time. So Peter's like, this is the only thing that I can think to do. Is build you a tent. And still Jesus doesn't say anything. It's not his voice that we hear next. The cloud comes over the mountain. He obscures Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and then all you hear is the voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And every time you see the cloud descend in the story of Israel, it is the presence of God himself. It is the God of Israel stepping into the presence of his people in a unique and special way. And all you can hear is, this is my beloved son. Not Moses, not an Elijah. Jesus, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And everything that's going on is so disorienting. It's so discombobulating. If you read and listen to what is happening in the disciples for these weeks, this week of time, everything is, is not quite as they expect and is not quite as they anticipate. They, they, they're right. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. This is Peter's confession. Jesus says, you're right. This is it. You've nailed it. The secret that we've been seeing laid out all throughout the Gospel of Mark, you've hit upon it, this is who I am. And then the next second, Jesus is talking about being crucified, which doesn't make any sense because crucifixion is not victory. It is, it is the worst kind of defeat. It is shameful. It's naked. It's public. It's at the hand of the evil powers of Rome. It's the worst. And Jesus is saying, I'm this one and I'm going to do that. Peter says, that's crazy. You're obviously wrong about that. You must be mistaken. Now he's going up the mountain. He's all shiny and blazing in brightness. And, and, and instead of hearing, listen to Moses and Elijah, you're saying, here, listen to Jesus. This is exactly what I'm expecting. And so they're like, this Elijah thing, like, this is it, right? This is, 
are we reading this correctly? This is the end. Because doesn't it say Elijah is supposed to come right before the end? And Jesus then finally speaks and says, for one, you can't tell anybody this. You can't tell anybody this until later. And Elijah does come. In fact, Elijah has come. And he's already suffered at the hands of other people. And they're like, that was Elijah. We're pretty sure that was him. But now you're saying Elijah has already come and is dead. And what is this thing about resurrection? Like, in the, in the mind of the Jewish thinker and reader, there is a resurrection, but it's like at the end. It's the end of all things, and all the dead people get raised to life. But Jesus is talking about, we can't even tell this story until he has been resurrected. One person isn't going to be resurrected. That's not how it works. That's not what they're anticipating. So they don't know what is going on. They, they are lost and confused at what they are seeing. Why is this happening this way? Why is Jesus doing all of these things in this order? Why is he showing them this and then telling them, you cannot tell anybody until after this strange event in the future? Certainly, Jesus is disclosing this to these three men, Peter, James, and John, so that they know and will remember but something is happening that is not just about them. Who is he doing this for? He's doing this for everybody who will come after them so that they will be able to read the story out of order. See, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples, they are only putting these things sequentially. And so they're going to watch as spectators, everything happened in front of them. And even though Jesus has given them some sort of warning, it is so far outside of their mental map, they cannot track with what Jesus is saying and doing. That's why even when the thing happens that Jesus says will happen, he'll be crucified, they are totally confused, bewildered, terrified. Even though it is clearly all happening as he said. But this story is put here in Mark's gospel at this time, for you to see. You, it is expected, you know the end of the story. You know where this, is, where this is heading. You know how it will end. And what Mark wants you to see, what Jesus wants you to see, is that everything that will happen from here in the gospel of Mark is being done by him. He doesn't want you confused about his nature. Jesus is not just another guy. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another prophet. Jesus is this one. The one who you get to see some little bit of glory. Just the smallest fraction of what that might be like. It is him that is marching to the cross in Jerusalem and embracing it as a display of his glory. This is who Jesus is, Mark is telling you. Remember that as we go forward. 
This is, in fact, the glory of God put on display. We, we imagine that the, the glory of God, if we just threw out that phrase, has only the kind of connotations that come with what Peter sees. We expect white clothes, shining light, clouds of glory. And that is true. That is glory. But you are meant to look forward in a way that the disciples could not and understand that glory is not just what they are seeing. The more glorious vision that you are supposed to have that they didn't have for the most part is that this most glorious one is the one who would be crucified and resurrected because he loves you. That he would lay aside this kind of glory and, and infinite times more because of his great love for you. You know, I, I if you've been coming here <clears throat> at all, you know that I am weird in my preaching. Like, I, I know that. You know that. We don't have to pretend it's not true. I don't have outlines for you, I don't have fill in the blanks or three things with the same letter at the beginning of them. I, I, I never do that. You rarely leave here with like, here's two instructions for how to whatever. And I am not sending you out today with that again. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life in a way that you can go up the mountain with Jesus or like from the going up the mountain with Jesus this is how you go back down the mountain or, or this is how you build a tent for God's glory in your life. I'm not giving you any of that. I don't have it in my pocket for you now or forever because the whole thing that we ought to do in this story and every other story is to listen to the voice in the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the only thing that you need to hear in this story. And I believe is at the heart of the entirety of the scriptures. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the one. This is the only Voice you need to listen to. This is the beloved Son of God. And this one thing is the thing that changes everything else. It is the only thing that I have to say to you today. Now the question that goes with it naturally and automatically is, are you? Are you listening to him? Are you actually listening to the voice of Jesus? Is the voice of Jesus the definitive, the authoritative, only teaching voice, the only determining son of man, son of God voice that you have in your life? Is Jesus not the voice that is on the shelf with like five other voices in your life and occasionally you pick from one or the other? But is Jesus the voice that is the determinative voice in your life? Is this the son of God that you see and hear as the beloved one who you listen to. And I'll tell you the answer. If you're honest with yourself, if you know yourself, 
then you are about as effective at doing that as probably Peter and every other disciple, which is like, maybe, sometimes, kind of, sort of. And that's probably the best. That, that is at your best. The answer is probably maybe, kind of, sort of. An outright no is definitely on the table, and you fit somewhere on that spectrum. And if you are listening to the question, do I listen to this one, and your answer is a very self-confident yes, you are wrong. You are mistaken about your own ability to listen. You are mistaken about the bent of your life. You are mistaken about what his voice sounds like. The best of us listen Maybe, kind of, sort of, and often listen, not at all. And so the only thing the voice from the cloud will tell you, the thing that the scriptures will keep telling you the whole story over and over again, this one thing, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We fail at the one simple command. One Simple command. I fail to listen to Jesus a great deal of the time. And this is why Mark is showing you this. Because this great glorious one, he would put himself on the cross for people who at best can offer him sometimes yes and oftentimes no. It is because of his great love for you, for me, for failures, for people terrified, afraid, ashamed, that he would go to the other mountain, the mountain of his crucifixion. And instead of keeping on his clothes white, in his glorious light. He would be crucified naked, rejected, and despised. For you. For me. Because he would want to give to you and to me the voice of the Father. So that we would hear my beloved one. And know that that title, those riches, that kindness, that love is not just for Jesus. He give it to you. His friends, his son or his daughter, so that you would be baptized into his name and have that father's voice as your own. He gives that and offers that to you knowing that you are the ones who would listen to this one command. Listen to him and you would run from him. If you're a Christian today, if you're here, you know that you refuse this command. You are tempted by the voices of success and desire, of your career, of your flesh, of the world. 
You know that you are pushed and driven by your own dreams and your own ambitions, your own needs, your own wants on your time. Those are the things, the glory that you seek most often. You know that you hear the voice from the cloud of glory saying, listen to him. And the honest response is, I wish that I would, and I often don't. And you may be here today, and you are not a Christian You do not follow Jesus. And you are being invited, commanded in fact, by the Lord of heaven and earth to see Jesus as the lone and sole voice. You should listen to him. And you know, I've not listened to him like that. I've not listened to him at all. And wherever you are in this spectrum of experience in the past and in right now, the the solution, the answer is very simple and the same for everyone. Repent. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop chasing your own voice. Stop chasing the prophets that you prefer. Stop chasing your experience, your satisfaction on your terms. Stop. And come home to Jesus. If you failed him your entire life, you failed him a thousand times once again. There is no limit to the extent of his mercy and grace, his kindness, his gift towards you. Stop and come home. If you have never, ever listened to the voice of Jesus, and you can hear now what you could not hear before, There is no some entry fee or application process that you must go through on your terms and your strength. It is, in fact, a gift to you that the beloved Son of God would have done everything for you in your place and on your behalf so that today, for the first time, you would say, I want to come home to this one. The way is open to you. Glory is open to you the beloved son would extend to you his own belovedness. Not because of how good you are, but in spite of how good you are. This is the end of the world. Peter is right in what he sees. Everything changes with this, with Jesus. Not only is the end of everything, it is the end for which all things were made. You are meant to meet your end in Jesus. You were meant for him. This is the beloved son. Listen to him. That is the whole life that God offers to us. And in him, it is an infinite source of life and goodness. It is his glory on display. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would help us. <clears throat> we, we hear from you. We, we may even see glimpses of you, but we still need your help. And Father, I pray that you would help us. What you, what you want, what you did for us, what you accomplished for us is far bigger and better than what we could have imagined for ourselves. Do our minds reject the goodness of what you offer? It could not, it should not be so good as this. You still do it. And Father, I pray for those of us who are 
wrestling and grappling with the fact that we do not listen to you, that we prefer other voices and pursuits of our own ends of glory. God, I pray that you would help us to lay aside those other things to turn again to you. And I pray, God, for all of those who would be overwhelmed by their sense of failure, the, the sense that they seemingly can't listen like they should, I pray that you would show your great comfort extended to them in the wounds of Christ. That you see their frailty and their weakness. And you offer to them an exchange of your own life because of your great love for them. Father, we are so grateful that you love us like that. May we all move one step closer to you, Lord Jesus, pressing in to hear what the God of glory has revealed. This one is the one we should listen to. May your voice ring loud in our lives. May your name be ever on our lips. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.